Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Guy Williams, and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello everybody and welcome to the pin ultimate episode in this third season of the House Culture podcast hosted by me the managing editor of House Culture Matt Rouse. I hope that you're all good and have maybe had a chance to soak up some dance floor vibes now that we are re-emerging into clubs and festivals after an enforced period away. Is it better than before? Everyone seems so much more appreciative and in the moment which you love to see. So Thanks for tuning in today and welcome to the podcast. We are House Culture, a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Not only can you enjoy our daily output of positive vibes on Instagram at HouseCultureNet, you can also get crate digging through our archive of previous guests on the podcast. We have gathered a rich oral history of the scene featuring icons such as Fatboy Slim, David Morales and Danny Tanaglia and leaders of the new school of talent like Andrea Oliva, Anja Schneider and Josh Butler. Whatever your era is, we have you covered. But our conversations don't just stop there. As we are house culture, we like to investigate every element of what makes up this scene. And that is why we've also spoken to people like Manumission founding member and Pikes Hotel creative director Dawn Hindle, saxophone sensation lovely Laura, and South Wales premier promoter Dave Jones. Honestly, if you don't recognise the name, have a listen as we handpick all of our guests to make sure they have a fascinating story to tell. Now, are you ready for this one? We're speaking to someone who, through their time in Manchester, honed their DJ skills at places like the Hacienda before moving to London and holding residencies at legendary places like Trade, now residing in Ibiza and running their own DJ agency and consultancy, alongside still playing clubs and festivals, of course. It is the man known as Guy Williams. In our chat, you'll hear Guy talk about the passion that still drives him after all these years. I have always been more passionate about the music 
than the popularity or even wealth side of it. I buzz off the music and that original kind of feeling of how that brings everyone together. I still feel that now, 30 years on. What his opinion is on the state of the scene right now. We undoubtedly seem to be going through a summer of love again now because it's like, you know, we're out of lockdown and you know, it's definitely back. The industry's back. And I think that's just going to, that's giving people like a massive creative spark. And where his house music happy place is. I'm probably a disco and house boy at heart. I've always said that I wish I was 18 in 78 in New York. But I'd say I'm probably happiest playing a Jackie Acid House deep house set. And that's probably where I'm at my happiest. This one was recorded face to face, the first one for a while. It was good to be back in the room with my guest. And as you're here, it took place in a very unique location. I hope you enjoy it. This is Guy Williams. House Culture. Hi, I'm currently sat in the Boat Pod, which is a beautiful podcast recording studio housed in a canal boat in London's Little Venice. And opposite me is a man who's done it all in dance music. He's partied and played at legendary nights at Manchester's Hacienda, hosted and promoted nights at the iconic Pikes Hotel in Ibiza, and he has made music his business by setting up and running his own DJ agency and consultancy called Paradise Productions. His name is Guy Williams, and it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's Thank a pleasure you. to be on the Boat Pod podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. This is an amazing space, isn't it? It's great. It's a really ingenious idea turning a, uh, a barge into a kind of a studio I suppose because there's decks in here to record mixes and everything yeah it's certainly one of the quirkiest places I've recorded in so yeah definitely cool to chat to you today so um we always like to start at the beginning with our interviews and find out like where a person grew up and how they first got into music so you're originally from Manchester is that right yes I'm a Manchester boy um so I grew up in and around various areas mm-hmm. of Manchester, um, and I was lucky enough to be 18 in 1988. <laughs> awesome. Which was a pivotal time. So, mm-hmm. and even before that, you know, like the, the kind of the, the 80s vibe and, um, you know, the whole new romantic movement, which I was a fully fledged um, member of with my long fringe, Phil <laughs> 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 Oakey style. Um, yeah, so grew up in Manchester and, um, and then at age 16, went to start going to college in mm-hmm. central Manchester as well. Yeah. And was surrounded by um, what became like, well, I suppose it was the gay village at the time, Canal Street. That's where the college was. So, you know, they uh, used to go in for like morning lectures and then not make the afternoon ones because you'd be <laughs> sat in the pub. Um, and of course, then started going out at mm-hmm. that time around 86, 87 and... Um, yeah, we all kind of know what happened around 88, 89. Yeah. Um, the, you know, with the Hacienda and mm. there's another club that we used to go to called the Number One Club, mm-hmm. which was a tiny basement off um, St. Peter's Square. And it was uh, it was a proper family. I, mean, I met some lifelong friends in there. Yeah. Um, so like a perfect clubbing week in like 88, 89 would be the number one on the... On, on a Saturday and the Hacienda on a Friday and maybe a Tuesday and a Wednesday as well. <laughs> Partying all week. And I mean, it, just before that kind of clubbing started for you, were you into music before that, that teenage period? Yeah, my father up? actually worked for a number of different record companies. So okay. uh, 
Chrysalis and Arista, which I mean, big artists that were on on Chrysalis was Blondie, yeah, uh, and also um, Two Tone was an offshoot of Chrysalis and Arista. So with the whole Scar mm-hmm. thing, which was um, you know in school even like the the kids in the year above me were all like. Teddy Boy Scars, and I used to sell the merch. My sorry, Dad. <laughs> I used to make merch and sell and sell it at school. And um, uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, you know, I was kind of surrounded by by music mm. from an early age, and mm. had a record collection from the age of eight. Wow. Um, so was this stuff you were buying, or was it? Yeah. Well, because my dad worked in the industry, he oh. used to say, "Write a list of whatever you want every week." And so he would come home with a plastic bag full of vinyl each week from from around 78, 79. Amazing. So what things were you kind of writing down at that point? Was it just stuff that you liked or looking back were you like, actually, I had some pretty good taste or was it all kind of poppy stuff? Or um, was it, a it was, yeah. I mean, like in, in, in that 78, 79 period, there was, you know, there was Blondie, mm-hmm. The Police, ABBA, a lot of the big pop stuff that actually is great music um and then when it went when we kind of got into 81 82 and the kind of synth revolution took hold and the new romantic movement started i just i just found a real affinity with that yeah um thompson twins human league Mm -hmm. because my dad also then left christmas and went to work for virgin who human league were on so i was like I was their number one fan <laughs> and had every seven inch, 12 inch picture disc, poster, everything. Yeah. Um, Eurythmics, all, all those guys. And I, you know, I, I asked my parents for um, synthesizers. I think that was Christmas 83 or birthday 84. Yeah. So I had like a Roland SH-101, which is like really revered now. Yeah. Um, and a Yamaha keyboard and a drum machine. And I used to, I think my mum and dad really regretted that because I used to drive them crazy not being very good <laughs> on it so i mean you were just getting this stuff and just tooling around with it and you know and then you just, you say you kind of went to college and you're very much into that new romantics yeah and going out like manchester was really but you know like from kind of 86 87 there was a real buzz in manchester mm. and of course that developed into madchester which yeah. unfortunately into gunchester um but you know that w- it was really exciting to be there at mm. that time yeah. and very um inspiring and so i was clubbing like at like a t- probably t- at least two or three times a week yeah. with a full-time job um oh to oh the en- energy of youth um so yeah i was doing that probably 88 89 90 and then when it got to like 92 i i then was like right i've got to start djing myself i've got this amazing record collection yeah and i the past few years have just been living in clubs mainly yeah and so yeah i started djing and actually i dj'd for about a year mm-hmm. without even having decks i would just literally do it on the on the hop yeah playing in um First of all, certain bars that were really cool in Manchester, like the Athenaeum and um, and Home Nightclub, and and then started to get club gigs, and then bought decks. Yeah, and maybe in like beginning of '94, yeah, and um, lots of after parties. <laughs> uh, I was. Yes, <laughs> it's always the way we interviewed um, Buckley. Um, oh yes, yeah, for this as well. And he was saying that he kind of his gig that he got at the Hacienda was because you know everyone would come to the after party at his place, right? And you know Bernard Sumner would be there, or you know Grand Park would be there, and they'd be like, he'd be DJing, and then a spot would open up, and they'd say, well, why don't we just get get it's, him in? It's funny how things go around, isn't it? Because actually, when I moved to Ibiza, mm. um, I moved. 
in with Buckley. No and way. so for the first year, we were we were flatmates, which yeah. was fun. <laughs> a lot of shared history and a lot of, oh, have you heard this? Have you got this? <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. was a bit of that when I went round to his flat, actually. It was quite yeah. funny. And um, yeah, so, I mean, just to rewind a bit, um, you were obviously going to Hacienda as a punter. Did you realise at that point that something was happening, that there was a whole movement being born? I did. It's funny, actually, because re- quite recently, Defected showed a clip. Um, there was there was, there was a program called The Hitman and Her mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s, which was Pete Waterman and Michaela Strack, and it, they used to take it around various clubs in the Northwest and play the chart, chart music, but kind of more the dance side of it. Mm-hmm. And it was quite cheesy, and they'd do places like Hippos in Warrington and, you know, um, yeah, that kind of vibe. But they actually came to the Hacienda, and it was in January 89. Yeah. So I was 18 and a half. Mm. I'd been going to the Hacienda a bit through 86, 87, 88, but more the number one club uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, but I remember this night, and instead of... When, when the hitman and her would go to, say, hippos in Warrington, the flyer would say hippos in Warrington experiences hitman and her but they flipped it at for the hacienda and it was hitman and her experiences <laughs> the hacienda which I th- that flyer is genius yeah. so I was there that night and um it was chaos getting in I mean I remember like a girl got her arm broken in the crush oh, the bouncers were throwing us into the club yeah uh, but it was it was filmed because yeah. they were always broadcast. So there's a few shots of me no on the dance floor, and actually this this clip that Defected showed recently, and it's of um, Ten City. That's the way love is, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a very young eighteen year old guy with. But I'm it's weird because I'm dressed in like there's a few people who you can tell have discovered mm-hmm. ecstasy, mm-hmm. and they're on the podiums doing like the acid dance, and then there's like us that haven't discovered it yeah and i was in like a smart white shirt with trousers you know with proper trousers on Mm -hmm. doing like you know a bit of a kind of a dance but like six months later it all changed (laughs) so that was i knew something was happening but i didn't quite know but then by the june of 89 i was kind of i jumped right in yeah yeah yeah. And were you listening to the records and being like, okay, I've obviously got a vinyl collection already. I want to go out there and try and source these records that I'm enjoying here in the club? Or was it just... I was. I mean, DJ? yes, I was. I, I was... Um, yeah, I guess I, up until that kind of eight, 89, I was still getting records that I liked. And I was hearing some of the early house stuff as mm-hmm. well. Um, but it was really later on when, you know, the whole kind of, yeah, the whole XC explosion and all of that, where you just become like a kind of a disciple to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my record uh, collection carried on expanding. <laughs> do you still own a lot of vinyl? No. I, do you know what? I, I, I've moved around in London quite a bit and um, just having it's like 30 odd boxes of vinyl is a bind if you don't have somewhere like you know you but you know if you have your own home and you have a room to put it in and you're there for years it's different but mm. um i've been a bit of a nomad so i ended up selling most of it I've, I've kept like i've kept the vinyl of the records i've made and maybe about 50 faves yeah but i did sell the majority of it do you know what i don't really regret it yeah because i've got like most of what i want from then is on digital um you know and Two USB sticks are a lot lighter. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Turn up to a gig with two record boxes or whatever. And hence the bad back, you yeah. know, like after doing that for, you know, whatever. I mean, I DJed for nearly 30 years. And so 20 of that was 
lugging those boxes around yeah. and yeah it's definitely not good for the old posture no no um so tell me about um you've bought the decks you know you've been tr- you've been djing turning up just doing it on the hop and then you've bought the decks you've been teaching yourself did you have any kind of mentors there no i've been teaching myself um i actually used to right back at the beginning in like 93 i dj'd with uh someone else and we were a duo and we were called planet janet okay um you're you're grinning is that well it's just a funny it's it's a funny it's a funny time it was Mm -hmm. a funny time and you know the the way that 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 name came about because it was like oh wow last night was great i was on planet janet and you know it wasn't actually linked to um janet jackson Mm because there is a link there as well and so we were just we were two guys we 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 didn't we know we weren't drag djs which was quite popular at the time as well in the early 90s but i think sometimes people would book us and expect something different and then these two kind of pretty ordinary lads would turn up but rock it yeah (laughs) um and so yeah that lasted for uh about a year and a half and then uh it just it just felt natural to kind of go we kind of took little different paths and and just went i went solo in 95 Mm -hmm. um but you know we we would uh, encourage each other and you know pra- practice on my decks and look what records I've bought this week and you know uh, so that went on for like the first year and a half or so yeah yeah and uh, what did you realize at that point that this was going to be hang on I can make a career of this I think you know by then the DJs the, the, the DJs that we were going out to see regularly like Sasha and people like that had started to become like huge and so it was all of a sudden it was like this could, t- you know, this could turn into something either big or have longevity in it. Um, yeah, I start- I did feel like that. I mean, I've always just been, um, I, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but I have always been more passionate about the music mm-hmm. than the popularity or even wealth side of it. Yeah. I've always been more, I, I, I buzz off the music and a and and that original kind of feeling of how that brings everyone together and that's i still feel that now 30 years on yeah and i think sometimes the best nights are that i find as well is when you go somewhere it's not necessarily the big name that delivers it's always the residents the very often i love the warm-up that ease into the night and And that's not you know and that's not like that's a skill Mm. you know to do to be able to um do that i mean i I've had some great residences in London over the years. DTPM at, at Fabric and the End, um, mm-hmm. Trade at Turn Mills, Fiction at The Cross, you know, Ministry of Sound, and, but particularly DTPM Trade and Fiction, which were run by um, by Lawrence Mallison and Lee Freeman. They were very much about the programming mm-hmm. and the music yeah. rather than just sticking a DJ on. And that's why those clubs became infamous because, mm-hmm. you know, it was always really well programmed with great DJs and great music. And yeah. so I, it, it was a great um, kind of training ground. And now, um, you know, years on after those clubs have, have, have gone, there's still, you know, obviously we've just been through a pandemic, but pandemic aside, there are still some great, great club nights and stuff. But I know that, when I put events on myself, that that kind of thinking about the music and how mm-hmm. it builds and everything is very much part of it. Yeah. And I think that 
I think that needs to happen more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, de- yeah, definitely. I, I think we could, I've got some questions later. I really want to come into about, you know, how you kind of put on a night and, and whatever. And uh, we can dig into that. And so let's talk about um, flesh at the Hacienda. Um, how did you manage to get yourself in there? You uh, Buckley corrected me on this. There were no resident DJs at the Hacienda. They were just regular DJs. Is that something you would adhere to or would you say you were a resident um, I know. I'd say there were. I'd say there were residents. Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, like at Flesh, Tim Lennox and De- Kath McDermott and Paulette were definitely. I'd say residents. I'd say I was. I was more of a like a regular guest. Yeah. Okay. Um, which you know, like I and I, you know, th- those those were my peers. I mean, like you know, before just kind of when before I kind of started DJing, a bit before that, Paulette was already DJing, and we would go to her gigs which were like family gigs anyway all the time i mean mm-hmm. we you know it's great that we've got that sort of real long-standing history um and the fact that we still at it <laughs> but um i i feel like this there were residents i mean funnily enough actually on a hacienda live stream in lockdown paulette played mm-hmm. and she actually held up a card and said here's to the um flesh residents and and had Tim and Kath and yeah. and she actually had me written on there, but I, like you know it's like I was I was a regular guest, yeah. but it was like acknowledging yeah. those people, those those DJs that um, were the residents that you know very often helped build it more than any guests did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I think with, with with Flesh, I was going right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, it was like something from outer space. Like it was a Wednesday night. It started in 91, I think. Um, and obviously I'd been going to the Hacienda a lot in 89 on Fridays to nude and in 1990, but they were having a lot of problems then you probably mm-hmm. know of mm-hmm. with violence. Manchester was in general and yeah. um, it closed down for six months, I think in 1990. Yeah. And then in 91, I kind of, I'd really kind of stopped going at the weekends, but then Flesh started and it was the last Wednesday of the month. Yeah. And um, the first one, I think 800 people went to the first one and then it was one and a half to 2000 went every month. And it was so exciting, really liberating. People would be, like, they'd walk out of Flesh and be planning what they were going to wear and do for the, ne- the next Flesh a yeah. month later. It was that um much of a big deal for us mm. and um so that started in like 91 and like i said i hadn't really started i didn't really start djing until the year after yeah. and then i think yeah i probably first played in 93 and played s- some guest spots with david as planet janet uh-huh, uh-huh, so yeah. i actually it was as planet janet we played through i think 93 94 yeah um but yeah amazing days what, what's your, what's an outstanding memory from that? <laughs> there's a, there's a uh, yes, I, I straight away because it's um I've I've been asked this before. Um, there was one time when me and David were playing down in the Gay Traitor, which was the the amazing bar downstairs, mm-hmm. and um, uh, there was a a DJ called DJ Barbie who was a drag DJ, um, friend of ours from Sheffield, and she was supposed to play after us. And, um, <laughs> um, yeah, basically <laughs> it was snowing that night and I think we were due off in like half an hour and 
me and David decided to indulge a little. Mm-hmm. And then Paul Cons, who ran the night, came up to us and was like, Barbie's stuck in a snowdrift on the Snake Pass. She's not going to make it. Can you play all night? And we were like, not really. Able. <laughs> well, we we did, but it was a, it was a beautiful mess. Let's just say, letting records run out, putting records on twice, but actually the crowd really going with us and yeah. cheering at all the mistakes as well as all the amazing tunes. So that was a particularly funny memory. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, just getting loose like that is sometimes unexpected from from a crowd point of view as well. To hear like DJs just being like, "I'm just going to play stuff." That, I know def- you're gonna there was definitely a, like a something's changed here. <laughs> vibe yeah for sure awesome and um, i mean we're talking before the mics came on as well um about ibiza which is where you reside now um just take us through um the the move there but i suppose before we get to the move there um what was your experiences with the island leading up to you know what was your first experience on on that island um i first went in 94 mm-hmm. um with my friend darren and obviously just from the minute I stepped off the plane, could feel that that energy that everyone talks about, which is definitely there. And um, yeah, just had an amazing week, or how, I think we were there for a week. Um, went to Privilege and Amnesia and, and, and uh, Space and was just blown away mm. by it. And yeah, so I th- then went regularly i would i think i went just once in 94 but then i think from 95 i'd go like a couple of times and that as the years went on it built up to like three times a year um spent a lot of money going over um but obviously i'd started djing Mm -hmm. so just before i went so for me I'd, i'd started djing in manchester and sheffield and leeds a bit and then went to Ibiza and I suppose that was part of what spurred me on even more yeah because it was like this was the holy grail and this is kind of something to work towards I didn't actually first DJ in Ibiza till 2000 so it was six years after I first went yeah and uh, why was that was it always I wanted to keep it I think I was just like I think I uh had a lot going on like I became quite busy DJ in the UK Mm -hmm. from mid 90s and I moved to London in 97 yeah uh, and went to work for Jive as promotions manager, yeah, and then and then defected, yeah. So it that kind of period between ninety four and two thousand was a lot going on, yeah. But I was still going to Ibiza regularly, uh-huh. and then um, I think by two thousand I was al- already a resident for trade and ministry, and they would and and matinee I think, and they yeah. were all teaming up and doing stuff together. Yeah. So I think yeah, my first ever trip was i think to to dj was 2000 and it was to play el divino the terrace at space yeah and it and and somewhere else i can't remember it was an it was a pretty amazing first trip <laughs> dj trip yeah yeah i mean w- was there um a lot of expectation on yourself in terms of i've been there i've experienced this from the dance floor perspective um did you feel a pressure to really kind of deliver yeah, I mean, like, you know, from that late 80s acid house explosion through the 90s was when, like, dance music really did explode. Mm-hmm. So there was a real excitement, but there was also, like, you know, well, y- you were seeing DJs become, like, huge 
stars if that's I mean that's a horrible word but like you know just you just it, it, the whole thing became huge mm. and um so you know you would go and you would hear like one of your favorite DJs on the terrace at space and then all of a sudden you're doing that and you're like well I've got to I've got to give the crowd the experience that I've been given here yeah. so that does um weigh on your shoulders <laughs> a bit but you know it is also it is it's not you know it's not the most it's not the worst job in the world <laughs> but but there definitely is a pressure and yeah. there is a pressure in general on on in the industry which which sometimes people don't realize yeah. um and that, that you know turns into can turn into mental health issues and mm -hmm. stuff which i know has been highlighted a lot more especially in recent years but yeah. um you know you are you are performing and i think that what as the art form has become um such a gigantic uh, um entity that you know there's more pressure mm -hmm. on on it yeah. as an art form yeah yeah and that that pressure as well uh, when you're approaching a set for a, for a, a big gig or a big event that you're you know is on the horizon how do you approach building what you're going to play or do you just freestyle it do you have uh, a beginning middle I, and end i, I would mind? say i would i generally freestyle it more than plan it mm -hmm. uh, obviously i have like a loose plan but it's kind of a bit like my life really it's a little <laughs> bit you know winging it yeah um but yeah i think because it's i think it's good to not be so rigid because you don't know sometimes even if it's somewhere you play regular mm. you can have a different crowd yeah. or a bit of a different vibe so it's good to kind of be a bit loose and yeah. to be able to and i think that that is also part of the art that's that's again it's like we were talking before about the warming up mm -hmm. that's a skill yeah. and another part of it that's skill is properly reading and m being able to switch things to take people on that journey again another cliche but like that is definitely a skill that some have better than others yeah yeah and there's nothing worse than than thinking oh i've got this tune everyone's gonna love it and the vibe is just completely wrong and even yeah. if you do play it and you know dare to play it yeah. sometimes can... it's a, and you know look in all the hundreds of thousands of gigs i've done that's happened a few times where i've been like really excited about a new tune and the crowd mm. haven't been <laughs> or sometimes what's happened is i've just been a bit ahead of the curve <laughs> and then a few weeks or a month later everyone's going mad for it and i'm like you didn't really like it <laughs> but anyway you know gen generally yeah i think i think um an, a, a, an important part of the art is being able to to read the room mm -hmm. and you know we were talking as well before the mics came on about pike's hotel and you know the the heritage that that place has got on the island um you obviously program and uh run the f uh the flash series of events on that how um how did that come about and what was the thinking behind putting that on and um, well, I've been, uh, I mean, I've, I've loved Pikes for uh, many years and actually been DJing there for about 13 or so years. Mm -hmm. um, so you've you seen it change from yeah, what it was initially to where it is now? seen it change and obviously as Tony got more, a bit more kind of sick and mm. um, less abled. And then of course, Andy and Dawn, who are very old friends of mine, came in and bought it and managed it and then bought it and that was a, a, a kind of a great stars aligning because mm. obviously they have really kept the original vibe but yeah. spruced it up you yeah. know yeah um in, in a tasteful way yeah and um 
And then, yeah, back four years ago when I was really itching to get out of London mm. and I went to the I went to Ibiza for a month. It was the longest. Well, I, I, I was doing the music for some weddings in Ibiza and Mallorca. Mm. So I did a full month and that was the longest I'd ever, I think I'd only ever done two weeks stint before. Yeah. And I, I was like, right, after a month, it really feels like home more than ever. Yeah. And I was having dinner with Sarah Broadbent, mm -hmm. who's the event manager at Pikes, and her and Mike used to run We Love at Space, you know. Um, uh, they've done great things on the island. And I was having dinner with Sarah, and I said, I've decided I'm definitely moving. And mm -hmm. she was like, great, finally. Um, I think we've got a bottle of champers in. We <laughs> <laughs> probably would have done that anyway. And... Um, and then it took me a few months then to sort things out and I moved in the April. Mm. Um, but at that dinner, she was also like, you know, you, you need to come and do your own thing at Pikes, go yeah. away and have a think about it. And I just thought that there was a gap for a kind of a, a mixed um, party because the, the, the kind of gay mix scene in, in Ibiza had, had eroded somewhat, mm -hmm. um, diminished a bit. And um, some of the big parties weren't on anymore. And, and some of them had got a bit too commercial as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously there's Ibiza Town, which has like some, some bars and stuff. But in terms of like an actual like cool party and also the no Pikes has always been like kind of a open, everyone's welcome. Yeah. But there hadn't really been a kind of gay mix party. Yeah. And so I thought that's what it's got to be. Something at Pikes, um, maybe we start off monthly, yeah. which is what we did in 2018. With, uh, and then it was coming up with the name, and I was obviously I, you know, I was. We were talking about flesh before, and so I was throwing things around. And actually, I had a, a Zoom with a friend of mine, and he's like, uh, he's German, so like his his English is good, but like he's sometimes like, and he thought I said Flash when I was, like, and he was like, oh, I love it, Flash, and you could do lo really lo lovely logo, and and I said no, Flash, actually no, Flash, and it was literally that's how it, it it was a mistake, yeah, and um and that's how it came about, and obviously you know it's probably an ode to Flash in part and yeah. to and to DTPM and Trade and all those clubs that I've was involved with a lot um but at pikes and in ibiza yeah um so yeah and that journey's taken you to that point and uh, you know we're, we've, we have been talking around it in terms of warming up and those types of things and and setting the right tone and vibe you know if you're booking or programming an evening how do you go about picking the right is it a real task to pick the right personalities and sounds to be able to create that? Or yeah, how I think does, that's, that's take us through that. I think that's also part of it. Um, you know, like having good residents again, mm -hmm. back to the residents thing. And, um, you know, like I, I have a couple of guys that play for me and girls, uh, John Jack and, and Sam, who, you know, they're great music selectors and, you know, they're good at reading a vibe, but they're also versatile in yeah. that they can play a totally Balearic chill out set, yeah. uh, a disco set or a, or a great house set. Yeah. And that's because that I like to do that myself. I kind of look for that in others yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I there are people that just do one thing and do it really well and that's yeah. fine. But I think... That's part of the reason why I love doing stuff at Pikes because we get to 
start off by the pool mm-hmm. and do, you know, and, and, and set a kind of Balearic um, funk, disco, chill out um, vibe. Mm-hmm. And then we can move to the terrace and start off with some kind of slow house, new disco and build it up. Mm-hmm. So that, again, going back to that whole journey thing, yeah. is able to be played out there. Yeah, yeah, completely. And Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Creating that as well, uh, obviously the pandemic's happened and, you know, things have been put on hold. Um, what do you think the kind of future holds for not necessarily that party in particular, but for the industry at large in terms of you know you know we were talking before the mics came on about kind of some kind of anxiety about large crowds and things like that do you think that there will be um more of a want for people to have more smaller intimate underground parties or do you think everyone's going to want to come out and explode again and just go nuts well i don't know it's interesting isn't it because then also (laughs) the smaller underground parties are people like more people crushed in like sardines, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think that's partly what's driving a lot of the anxiety, whether it be from the customers or all DJs or, or artists, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know obviously at Pikes we've not been we've not had Freddy's the club room open, yeah. which is an amazing room, but it is you are like cramped in in there when it's busy, um, and it actually has been really nice playing outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually the kind of original Ibiza essence when Coup and Privilege and Amnesia didn't have roofs on, yep. Space Terrace, all of that. So it's like, that's why I think there's a, a buzz uh, uh Pikes in particular at the moment. And I'm sure hopefully before the end of the season, maybe by September, we'll be able to some of the other places like the Zoo Project and, you know, uh, we'll be able to open once more people are vaccinated, etc. So I don't know. I think like look at the look at the festivals that have happened just in the past few weeks, like Wilderness, um, except, you know they've got they've been sold out. The, the atmosphere has looked amazing. Yeah. However, I have looked at some of the videos, and I, of course I'm really pleased that that's happening, and that you know people are able to go out and express themselves and dance, and my, my you know my colleagues can work again. Mm-hmm. But I am a bit like, 
Whoa, because I, I'm a little bit claustrophobic with with crowds anyway. Yeah. So even before the pandemic, like with Carnival, for instance, or the Gay Prides, I'd love being part of it and DJing at them but I didn't ever really like being in the crowds that's yeah. a personal thing yeah. I always felt like I don't know if it's because I soak up a lot of that energy and I feel it's a bit of a head spin mm-hmm. um, so I don't know the next few weeks um, will be interesting for me being back doing like kind of busy club and festival gigs yeah I'm hoping I'm just going to be like embrace it and be like yeah and not like want to run away and hide yeah and uh, you know you mentioned there as, as well about how Freddy's at Pikes has, has not been open and this you know it's opened up the the hotel a bit more do you think that um obviously that's a positive do you think that will be the, a new normal kind of moving forwards i don't I mean, know i think i think like i think um what may happen i mean freddie's i'm sure freddie's if not not open in september will be back open for next next season yeah it's such an it's freddie's old bedroom it's, it's a, that's a magic space within a magic space yeah on but a magic island on a magic <laughs> island on the magic roundabout <laughs> but i think um it's works really well yeah uh there's a whole new booth, dj booth on the terrace so maybe it will work in tandem. Maybe Freddy's will be open and full on club vibes yeah. and it will be more like poolside chill out vibes on that terrace. That could work really well. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see how it evolves. Yeah. And yeah, I think always continually evolving is what's going to keep it fresh and, and whatever. Um, you mentioned about the stars aligning for, for Andy and Dawn to take over um, to take over Pikes. When we interviewed Dawn for this podcast, it was um, really interesting to get her side of that story. And it was literally about stars aligning. Um, did you see it happening from afar and think these are the perfect? Um, I, d- to- I mean, like, you know, I, 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 actually, I did a podcast with Dawn, uh, the Pikes podcast, um, which if you've not listened to, it's called Made in Manchester. I'm giving it a plug. <laughs> but it's like mine, it's kind of part of the story I'm telling now, but mm-hmm. also how it intertwines with Dawn's. Um, because Manumission started in my friend's pub. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the manager. He was my flatmate. And he was the manager. Came home one night, showed me a flyer. We were like, what's that? crap name (laughs) it's probably going to be rubbish and uh, and then you know went on to move to a club in the gay village and became like this friday night sensation in the summer of 93 and then because of the gang violence they had problems and they moved it to ibiza that's the short version but like Mm. i was i was without wanting to sound um you know big-headed was there right from the beginning yeah with that one and so um it's been great to see that evolve and it's been great to see like, you know, like what, what Dawn and Andy have done with Ibiza Rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did hear, I knew that Tony was, like I said, w- was finding, struggling more with his health and uh, and what have you. And um, it was like, someone's got to swoop in. Because yeah. I know I even like friends of mine were like, I'd love to buy, we were all like, let's, you know, we'd love to buy bikes. Yeah. And then those guys stepped in and I think that was definitely, you know, having, having Dawn as creative director yeah. was a good move. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just, yeah. From what um, she told me about, you know, just refreshing everything, you know, lots of dark wood and just changing that. Yeah. I think it's done really, it's been done. Yeah. Tastefully. Tastefully is the word. Respectfully. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, right. I want to talk about um, Paradise Productions. So you're officially, in the music business yourself, um, uh, you know, you mentioned you worked for, for Jive and Defected and, um, and whatever. And 
you, you know, is this the first kind of thing you've set up yourself and owned? Yes. Um, I, my, you know, the London timeline was Jive and then Defected and then DTPM, the club set up a record label. So I was the label manager and that kind of took us to around, um, yeah, like 2006, seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was... You know, I was pretty busy myself as a DJ, but then at at some point around 2010, I kind of wanted to, I was doing some events and I kind of wanted to turn that into something a bit more, like a consultancy in a way. So I set up, um, I I, I did a a night with with Tom Cage Baby, actually, Mm -hmm. Tom Gandhi, and we called it Paradise 45, which was a hark back to Studio 45 mm-hmm. and the Paradise Garage, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't take um, a detective to work that one out. Um, and then that kind of... So we did we did some productions. We remixed Grace Jones as Paradise 45, The Temper Trap, a few other people. And, and then I did we did some parties and we did like a season in Ibiza, uh, a club called Aura, which mm-hmm. was great, in the middle of the island. Um, and so... Yeah, like Paradise Productions was born because all of a sudden it was like, well, we're doing some nights, we're doing some productions. And for a lot of people were kind of starting to ask me for help with yeah. gigs and whatever. So it was a consultancy to start with. Mm-hmm. It kind of just evolved more into a DJ and management agency. And that's what happened. And then as we approached, like, you know, like through kind of 2015, 16s, 17 I did work for a few other music people and I realized in 2013 to 2015 and I realized I just didn't want to work for anyone else anymore by that point yeah um I was in my like mid 40s and I was Mm -hmm. like I just want to work for myself (laughs) you know which can be scary at times but it's I think it's generally more positive and more more you know having that freedom yeah um so yeah and then and then I and then I kind of more recently from about Three to four years ago, the agency where I was an agent for a certain number of DJs, and I started to manage some artists as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So um, managing two artists in an agent to six, I think it is at the moment. Yeah. And of course, like we've all just been um, massively decimated. And, yeah. You know, so because it's not, I still do DJ, but part of the reason was I didn't want to hang up my headphones, but I yeah. didn't want to have to DJ as much as I was doing, especially mm-hmm. in London. Um, I moved to Ibiza, set up a party at Pikes. Great, who's not going to want to do that? Um, but the agency was busy, so I was able to also do that remotely and yeah. coming back to London frequently for meetings and, and gigs and what have you. Yeah, and then we all know what happened last year and it just yeah. hit me and all my artists. Yeah. Um, but we, it's great to see it coming back to life. Yeah, and uh, it's been interesting as well to... to I can almost you can almost say now you can look back on that period about how people kind of pivoted and changed what they were doing, how they were performing, how they were sharing their music with people, whether it was like stream gigs and those types of things. Where where were you sitting on that kind of thing? You've mentioned you managed two artists. Um, were you pushing them to to do stuff like that, or were you thinking to okay, do live streams? Yeah, and and, and just uh, to kind of create yeah. something new out of what was going on. Yeah, I, um, the two, you know, um, Lula Franks and mm-hmm. Mr. Doris, who, who I look after, w- did some great live streams. Um, re- yeah, some 
some from London, some from Ibiza. Yeah. Um, and I think that was an important part of keeping the visibility there. Yeah. Um, and also perhaps bringing in a new audience that may not have seen them. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened with a lot of live streams. Yeah. I mean, you know, like United We Stream in Manchester did so well, yeah. raised a lot of money as well. Yeah. Um, so I personally... Me, partly because I don't, I don't, I don't have that setup at home like mm-hmm. some people have. Yeah. Uh, I did do a couple of live streams. One was from the pool at Pikes, which was also a, a money uh, raiser for um, food banks in Ibiza. Yeah. And I did that with Artwork, mm-hmm. who actually did his from. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that, <laughs> but he. It was funny because he had a green screen that looks like he was yeah. at the Pikes Pool. Yes. But he wasn't. He was in his parents' house in the studio they have, but with a green screen. And it was so realistic that we were getting messages like people like wanting guest list and there was nothing actually happening at Pikes <laughs> when when he, that his bit went out. And um, the police actually went to Pikes no to say, like, what's going on here then? <laughs> and, like, Mika, the manager, had to show them around and was like, uh, it's the magic of green screen. <laughs> That was hilarious. Um, so I did do a couple, but uh, myself wasn't like, yeah, if I'd have had a setup at home, I might have done some more. But I think it was important for people to keep their hand in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like you say, maintain that visibility. And yeah, you discover new uh, audiences can discover new artists that they might not necessarily have been able to see. Globally. Yeah, as exactly. Well. Yeah. 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 And in terms of getting people into the dj agency sphere and spotting talent you know how how do you operate in that way um you always trying to do you often hear people and think oh yeah i mean a a bit different some some of them are some of the guys that i work with are old are old friends Mm -hmm. um and some uh, i've like heard you know like um yeah i mean lula i heard Lulu is a, is a friend of a, you know, she's my daughter's friend and, mm-hmm. and we were at a wedding and I heard her singing and I knew that she was DJing and I was like, this girl's good. <laughs> you know, she, she, she's got like a real kind of um, great energy um, and talented yeah. um, and in, in a number of different ways. Yeah. And I was just like, I'd love to work with her. I think it'd be great. And we've been working together for three years now yeah. and actually we just recently coming out of the pandemic and... Um, She's really doing really well, really busy, really in demand. And, you know, we're working on some exciting um, projects and I think um, that's only going to grow. Yeah. And then Mr. Doris is like, you know, he's 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 been a, an absolute like um, hero in, in, in Ibiza um, of the, you know, he used to be resident at space, mm-hmm. he used to run his own parties. He got voted best island DJ uh, in the DJ awards. Um and makes a lot of great music from kind of funk and disco through to house. Yeah. Um, I mean, a string of releases um, since last year because he was, you know, he used his time in the lockdown to make music, yeah. which was one of the best things you could do with your time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people over the, over this um, lockdown period. And it's been interesting about how people's creative workflows have kind of changed in terms of, creating something and road testing it whether it's you know playing it to their husband or wife or a partner yeah. or whoever in their own flat or just you know sending it out there and hoping that it well the one thing for sure there's a lot of new music out there that's mm-hmm. been made and that's now being played so even like the next year is going to be really exciting yeah. because 
we're going through we we undoubtedly seem to be going through a summer of love again now because it's like you know we're out of lockdown and there still is you know going to be a bit of a roller coaster i'm sure yeah, yeah. but you know it's definitely back mm -hmm. the industry's back and um I think that's just gonna, that's giving people like a massive creative spark. Yeah, yeah. And what, what's your kind of diary looking like for for the rest of the year? Are you well? Trying to book I mean, up? do you know what? Like, yeah, I I think because of the way things have been, it's kind of hard to plan too far ahead. Mm -hmm. We do not know what's going to happen. Let's face it, in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, like in the more near future, um, like my trip here, I've got some great gigs i'm really excited about coming up for the next few weeks like pikes pop up at marston park mm -hmm. um elro festival where we're hosting co-hosting a stage with disco disco and doing the afters at egg yeah and um homo electric my old my disco family from manchester and i haven't played for them up in manchester for many years yeah. and that's at manchester gay pride i'm super excited about that yeah. and then i've um got my own event on uh, west side story which is every carnival we know carnival's not on but i think it's going to be a big weekend anyway yeah so that's at the mason's arms with justin robertson demi requisimo nancy noise lula franks mr doris sloth boogie yeah amazing lineup. Line yeah. so that's like two and a half weeks away i can't yeah. quite believe it and um you know back into ibiza with the flash parties um flashlight which we do on the thursdays which came something we started last year because we couldn't do flash so flashlight seemed like a nice <laughs> way and it kind of looks great <laughs> on paper yeah um but there is a flash party on the 20 friday the 24th of september which we're going to announce some exciting um uk guests for yeah. as well um and then hopefully we get to um roll through into october with the season there yeah, I think it could be an amazing September and October in Ibiza this year. Definitely, I think so. I think you're going to see mentioned almost a summer of love. That summer of love can almost turn into the autumn. autumn I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then I'll be back um, end of October, beginning of November, um, doing an event with um, Disco Disco again. Mm -hmm. We are taking over Colours in Hoxton. Mm -hmm. um, we're just about to soon announce that with the lineup. It's yeah. great, yeah. Um, and there'll be other things happening around Halloween that I'm in talks with as well. So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of loose plan for the next few months. Ahead. Awesome, awesome. And you know, there's so many different parties going on, like that you're involved with there. Um, how would what's your how would you describe your sound when you're playing as a DJ? Do you do you have a particular like a first love, this is what I love to play? Or you mentioned as well about how, you know, it can be good to, to play a Balearica set, it can be good to play a disco set, a funk set, or are you just happy to play anything? Um, I um, I mean, I'm probably a, a, a disco and house boy at heart. Mm -hmm. I've always said that I wish I was 18 in 78 in New York. Um but I was eight in Manchester. <laughs> but then you were 18 and 88 in but Manchester. But then I was, I was, yes, yes, exactly. Um, I mean, particularly the, these most recent years and with the pandemic and having to kind of not be, to, to have to find more chilled out music or, you know, like not as um, focused on uh, house music as much. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely really enjoyed um, you know, I've been listening to like Fat Phil Cooper, who mm -hmm. lives in Ibiza, uh, who's a mate, and he's just an amazing We've radio been show for this week. Well. Yeah. yeah, and so like you know, just listening to people like that who uh, and they've been educating me on yeah. on, on on that more chill out mm -hmm. kind of vibe, which I've always loved. But I'd say I'm probably happiest playing 
a Jackin Acid House deep house set. Yeah. And that's probably where I'm at my happiest. Yeah. And that hasn't changed over no. over time? No. Has no. It? And you know, that qu- that whole thing of there's so many categories now mm. of dance music and I, it's just it's all house. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's all house. You know, I know it sounds you know, it sounds cliche, but it is. And uh, and uh, you know, there are subgenres of it, of course, mm. but you know, disco led into house and all these other whether it be dubstep or grime or techno or whatever basically came from house yeah yeah and house came from disco yeah and you know house is stolen from so many different genres that they're all these like branches that feed into that one yeah sound. and that's exciting yeah yeah i was talking to sophie actually before who who owns the the boat pod that we sat on about um genre genre things and j- j- what i love about it as well is when you hear a track that you've heard a million times and but then when you're out sometimes you might hear the original of where that sample came from yes. for that track that you yeah. love and then that rabbit hole opens yeah and, and you're like, like wow i didn't realize it came from there yeah. or yeah and, and and how and how clever um you know clever sampling as well which always still um intrigues me you know yeah yeah just taking those little nuggets and um right okay we've been talking for for a good while now um you were really good at getting me your playlist choices we've now talking about Mm -hmm. tracks and things so we always like to get our guests to choose uh five tracks based on different themes to put into our spotify perfect playlist um and yeah i mean it's a huge massive long list now it's almost i think it's over 24 hours long because everyone's contributed five tracks to it so it's a it's a great listen and some real left field choices in there and we always want to start off with um a catalyst track you know i know it's really difficult to nail these things down to that one's not so difficult for me because i remember where i was what i was wearing Uh i was actually in the hacienda um i believe it was like probably early 87s I was 16 I was with my friend John Donaghy and we were looking over the we were stood up looking over the balcony over the dance floor and this track came on and it was just like because then it was very more quite student-like and the music was uh, a lot more mixed genre but this track came on and I was just like what is this this is this sounds amazing and it was actually steve steve salt hurley jack your body and i think it was probably before it hit the charts i think it was just before it hit the charts so it wasn't like because i would have heard it in the charts and i hadn't yeah and i was just like this sounds like the future yeah and i i was instantly like uh smitten with it yeah and so that was definitely the a catalyst track for me well, which is quite an obvious one but at least i was you know at least it's a good story <laughs> absolutely and you know for the first time for you to hear that in its proper environment yeah. in the wild in a club i don't think that i don't think that most of the people in the club kind of realized either though because it was so new yeah and it had probably be, like there'd probably been like a james or a smith's track played before that <laughs> so they probably didn't yeah you know people i could you know i, I knew there was a feeling in the club of like what's this Mm. and I definitely and uh, the reason I say remember what I was wearing because I was wearing a denim jacket with a beret hat with coloured paper clips a bit boy George boy kind of look with coloured paper clips coming off the beret dangling down onto the pocket of the denim jacket absolutely awful don't know what i was thinking but i remember that's what i was wearing at the time <laughs> fashion choices direct from wh smith amazing yeah <laughs> yeah stationary fashion <laughs> um okay um 
a floor filler choice? Can you firstly, actually, can you remember what you've chosen, or do you want me to tell you what they are um, as we go? Tell me. <laughs> okay, um, so a floor filler you've chosen, and very specific as well. Oh, uh, Madonna. Yes. Yeah. The Shep Pettibone mix. Well, it's that twelve-inch that that, mm. that he's done of of um, Into the Groove, which is on the remix album. Yeah. It's just. It's amazing. I mean, like I love, I loved her, and you know, I went to see her blonde ambition. I went to see her about four times actually, um, but that blonde ambition tour in '90 was just amazing. Um, yeah. And um, Into the Groove is a great pop record, um, but that 12-inch mix is just really special. How it kind of stop breaks down and then goes into the piano after like yeah. about six seven minutes yeah and when we we i used to run a party with um kelly love and and chris bones called black rabbit mm. uh in and around london but we also had a residency at space in ibiza uh at we love in in the el salon room on sundays I think for two summers um, and we used to basically we used to do a thing called the gay off <laughs> where for the at the kind of end of the night we would like try to out gay each other with what we should would play I know it sounds a bit stupid but I mean and, not, and very often I'd be the only actual gay DJ out in them but we, it was quite fun yeah and I remember the closing party the last one we did which was the September and it's about 10 years ago and we were having the gay off and I think it was Lucas C from Hot Natured and Bones and a few of us it was it was a right old rum bunch in the DJ box having this gay off and I just put that I put that on yeah. from beginning to end and it absolutely slayed the room and the room was just like and they were like you've won you've won <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just a really special record yeah 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 is that is, it's a special record is it your favorite Madonna track that's difficult because, mm. you know, I have got quite a few. I absolutely love Justify My Love yeah. as well. Um, um, but I'd say it's probably the, my, my favourite. That's a difficult question. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I, I, I love Into the Groove. I love Bionic And Borderline, well. that, yeah, that borderline. remix, that, that Butch the Butch remix of Borderline, which was an, an end of the night record at Savage for me quite a lot as well, you yeah. know. But um, I think Into the Groove just, just wins it. Yeah, you mentioned Borderline. I was just about to say, have you heard that, Butch the Butch? Yeah, yeah. like oh I said, it was God. it was an end of the night record for me at Savage quite often, going back about three or four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah just the layers. Oh, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps thinking about that track. <laughs> it's just great. Um, okay, a sunsetter. Can you remember what you've chosen? It is. You're, um, probably, you're probably good friends with him. He lives in Ibiza. Um, don't tell me what I bought because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmares on Wax. Oh, yeah, yes. Um... Yeah, Les Nui, yeah. which um, yeah, it's just of that chill out Balearic genre. It's one of my favourite tracks. Mm -hmm. It's something I would never get. I'd never get bored of listening to. Yeah, and it's funny because there's a funny story associated with that as well. Was that one year um, in Ibiza? Uh, I was with my partner at the time, Chris, and we'd been out <laughs> late, yep. and we were sleeping in the lounge because it was so hot. To, we couldn't even be in the bedrooms it was so hot I was sleeping in the lounge and that was playing I remember like falling asleep and the wind blowing like the curtains through the door and I also remember um, uh, someone being in the room and I thought it was a dream mm -hmm. and then when I did wake up properly we'd been robbed oh, no. and actually it had been somebody who just walked in yeah. and grabbed wallets 
watches, money, everything off the table. Oh and as, but I do remember, as I, so it's not exactly a great memory associated <laughs> with it. Um, but as we were falling asleep, I remember it was that that was kind of, you know, lullabying me to sleep. Yeah, it's a yeah. great track. Just that edge of awareness. Yeah, it's got that, that in-betweeny type feeling, like you say. Between. Yes, it has. And it's called Les Nuis, so it's also yeah. that kind of like, you know, going into the night. Actually, that was probably going into the day, but yeah. what the hell? Cool. Um, right, a tear, a tearjerker. Yeah, um, the tearjerker one is um, is a sad story, mm. but you know, it's it's a valid one. Um, yeah. It's um, uh, "Barefoot in the Head" by a man called Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, John, who I John Donaghy, who I mentioned earlier, I was in the hacienda with. So um, he. Um, and a guy called Suddy record together and they had a rec- big record called Hardcore Uproar and they John was like one of my best mates from school yeah. and um, yeah they had this big record in 90 uh, signed to FFRR mm-hmm. and they went to Ibiza in September 1990 and I really wanted to go but I couldn't afford to go and they were doing a gig at Coup which is now Privilege mm-hmm. with Sasha and 808 State like a proper big concert yeah and they got killed. Um, they got knocked off their motor. Well, John and Emma didn't go on the tour bus. They went on their motorbike and they got killed by a drunk driver. And it was v- devastating for me and all of our friends. Yeah. And actually, the night before they went to Ibiza, uh, my partner at the time was a hairdresser and, and Emma came over and had her hair cut. And I'd just seen the video to Barefoot in the Head on MTV. Mm-hmm. And it's filmed on the beaches in Ibiza and I I get goosebumps every time I talk about it and I said to Emma like wow wow, have you seen and heard this Mm. and she was like oh my god I love it and then the next day they rang me from Manchester airport and they were like can't believe you're not coming like kind of half bragging Mm. and half winding me up and a few days later they were gone so it's it's very difficult for me to listen to that song still but it's also a man called Adam and Sally and yeah. you know and all those guys they're amazing and th- th- they've got strong roots in Ibiza yeah. and the whole Balearic scene as well uh, I, I've told Sally that story and what that means to me and stuff as well yeah. Um, but yeah that's definitely a tearjerker well uh, yeah well, I mean well thanks for sharing that with us yeah. really appreciate that um, yeah it's a beautiful beautiful record we have interviewed Sally as well for right. this and um, yeah we did talk about them creating that record and just the vibes they wanted to bring to it it's yeah. a stunning piece of work and just yeah has a real kind of sense of place yes as well definitely it certainly does um okay well i mean after that we've got to pick a last tune um you can't it's uh oh yeah um <laughs> yeah i mean it, this was this is i think i think a floor filler and the last tune are the most difficult choices yeah um i picked sylvester uh not you make me feel right, mighty real, which is uh-huh. probably is, which is an amazing record. Mm-hmm. But um, do you want to funk? Yeah. Which I love them both. They're very very d- different. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to funk for me? Just I don't know. For me, that 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 version of like high energy disco. Mm-hmm. That's where I want to be. You know. Yeah. Um, it's an amazingly produced record. It's got such fantastic energy. And when I did play. Um, the terrace when I closed the terrace at space mm-hmm. for the first time which was a big gig for me back yeah. in about 12 years ago for We Love yeah. and I ended on that and um, so I actually 
um, where I kind of like stopped my set and then kicked that in. Yeah. And I just remember like it had been, it had gone really well anyway, but it just went up a notch. It yeah. went up a gear yeah. to stratospheric, you know, and even Darren Hughes, who used to run We Love, mm-hmm. just jumped up on the podium in front of me and went absolutely crazy, which I'd never seen before. <laughs> uh, it was a proper moment. And, um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a genius song. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so to have that confidence when you're at that gig to know this, I'm going to play it's this. Like, it's like years before, I used to play at Bora Bora a lot and I actually ended one night there on You Make Me Feel after just playing like a whole lot of house records. And again, it just, the place kind of exploded. Yeah. But you didn't really hear that many people taking those chances yeah. but I think that's you know that's part of the disco boy and probably part of the you know being gay and all of that just you know I think that that all of that can make an interesting um arrangement or choice of choices you know? yeah yeah I mean it does take some balls to actually stop and say okay I'm gonna play something now here you go and it'd be the right track yeah, yeah and it yeah. not be a massive obvious house record yeah. end on as well yeah exactly yeah. exactly Right, well, it's final question time. We always wrap up with the um, with the last question, which is, you know, we are house culture. This is the house culture podcast. Um, you know, we're very much interested in the whole culture of the scene, which we've kind of talked around anyway. Um, particularly the scene of, of of house. What is this thing called house giving you in your life? You know, is it, is it a career? Is it friends? Is it, you know, how would you define it? And when you look back on it, interesting question. I think it has given me all of that mm-hmm. i think it's given me a a passion um definitely met friends through being you know in clubs and festivals um being able to feed myself keep a <laughs> roof over my head uh and again like that that's you know that's not always been a, a given because mm-hmm. um if you are totally freelance, as we all know, it can be, it's have its ups and downs. Yeah. Um, but it, definitely, house is a feeling, and the feeling is good. That is the perfect place to stop. I think. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. House culture. What a top fella, right? I loved hearing about Guy's journey from new romantic to a super stylish Hacienda regular right the way through to where he is now with his ever-growing DJ bookings and exciting talent roster. I can't wait to see what the man does next. And as you heard, there are quite a few crossovers in there with people that we have already had guests on the podcast. So if you really want to make the most of those connections, make sure you have a listen to our episodes featuring former Hacienda regular Buckley Manumission founder Dawn Hindle, musical nomad and all-round great guy Fat Phil Cooper, and one half of a man called Adam, Sally Rogers. You also heard Guy select some incredible tracks for our ever-growing House Culture Perfect playlist that you can find on Spotify. This epically eclectic selection of tunes has taken submissions from every single one of our previous podcast guests. Seek it out by searching for House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify, stick it on shuffle, and turn it up loud. With that as your soundtrack, please help support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and rating or reviewing us on Apple. We've had some fantastic feedback already. So if you say something good, it will not only help us to continue to create these episodes that you love listening to, it could also get you a shout out on a future one as well. 
This time around, I'm shouting out to the one and only Sophie Callis, founder of the Boat Pod Studio, where this conversation was recorded. I want to thank you loads for letting us use your space, and I can't wait to be back in there soon. And if you want to join us at House Culture from wherever you might be in the world right now, please hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will we get fully informed about the podcast, you'll also get connected with other beat lovers from across the globe. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. See you next time. House Culture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.